And good evening. Welcome back once again. We are thrilled to have you all with us. We are excited yes. tonight for our guest feature. And I'm going to go ahead and step into the background and I'm going to let Arash introduce his good friend who's here with us this evening. Amen. Praise the Lord tonight. Uh, so excited you're here for uh, our Friday night, Friends with Friends. Um, this is, of course, my good friend, Pastor Richie. Uh, he's been a pastor of First Church for the last seven years, has grown a vibrant and diverse church in the city of Withville, Virginia. Uh, he has graduated from Cameron University with a bachelor's in music education and a minor in military science. He has his MDiv from Urshan Graduate School of Theology, and he's currently working on his doctoral degree from Colorado <laughs> Theological Seminary. He has been married for six years, and at the current moment, they are foster parents to two young, beautiful boys. And so it's my pleasure to introduce my good friend, uh, Pastor Richie. Praise Hello, everybody. Hope everybody is doing well. Um, and so uh, it's such an honor and uh, privilege to be with everyone tonight. I hope everyone, well, I think there might be, many of you might be looking from all over. It's, it could be good morning, good afternoon, good evening. So wherever you are, it's so wonderful for you all to join uh, join me this afternoon. And thank you, Arash, and of course, Pastor Bidsley for the invitation. Excuse me, hold on one second. Richie, how's your connection? Are you doing okay over there? Yeah, can you hear me? Hey, Richie, we lost you for a second. <laughs> Okay. Sorry about that. That's a really awesome intro that we did not hear. So. Oh. <laughs> oh my goodness. Can you? Am I? Can you hear me? Okay now. We can. There's a slight delay, but let's go ahead and okay. try again. All right. Well, can you? Is, is everything all right? Yes. Is now that, I believe you're in sync. No. Now we can. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, I was just saying thank you so much for allowing me to uh, be a part of y'all's discussion tonight and. For the invitation to um, introduce myself and share a little bit about Withfield, Virginia. We're in Southwest Virginia. Um, we are in the middle of nowheres, but yet we're connected to almost um, everywhere. So it's um, we're in a very beautiful location. We're in the mountains, uh, surrounded by beautiful green mountains right on the border of West Virginia, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky's right around us, North Carolina. Uh, so we're right, uh, right dab in the middle of just God's country. Um, so we've been here for seven years. Um, I started the church back in 2013. Uh, it's a really unique journey on how we uh, got connected to the area. Well, before we actually we actually started pastoring here, I came down. I had I wasn't married at the time. Uh, me and Rebecca, we were just really close and great friends, and we went to school together, and so. Uh, the the way that the door opened up and how it all started out, my grandmother, she had passed away and she had asked me to do her eulogy um, for the uh, for the funeral. And at the time during this time, I wasn't a preacher. I wasn't really doing much like ministry behind the pulpit. I had actually uh, been commissioned in the army and I was uh, preparing to be a chap army chaplain. And so my career path and my vocation was to be involved with army chaplaincy. 
I've always been a part of counseling, family counseling, individual counseling. So that has always been a part of, uh, I guess you say, my vocation and my my path and my career, my career plan. And so uh, starting a church definitely was not in my my vision or in my scope to do anything. Um, preaching, I did music in the background. So that was about as much I would ever get on, I guess you say, a stage and speak to people was through the music that I uh, practice and did. And so, uh, my grandmother asked me to do the eulogy. Um, and my family is from this area here in Whitfield and she asked me to do her eulogy. And man, when I spoke at her eulogy, we had a phenomenal move of God. It was a, a powerful move of God, um, that we had. And there was a gentleman there who's the Bishop of an organization, the church of God apostolic incorporated which is the organization that we are under, our building is under here. Um, they own this, the pri- uh, the property and the location where we are. And long story short, he had called and asked if I would come and start a church in their building um, that was going to be vacant. And um, at the time I declined the offer because I was about to be a chaplain um, and I asked them, I was like, well, how much, you know, is your starting salary? You know, I'm going to be uh fresh out of um, grad school. And I'm going to be making a nice little pretty penny coming out with some school debt. And he told me that he was going to start me out with zero salary. So it was literally going to be a church that started from the ground. And I first I declined the offer and I told him, you know, it's I don't think it's in my best interest. And so I went back and I talked to the Lord and I began to pray and the Lord began to deal with my heart about it. And he he shared this word with me. He said, there's a small door of opportunity that has opened in in Withfield. And he says, don't let the door of opportunity close. So I called this bishop back and I mentioned to him, I said, hey, you know, I've been giving it some thought and I think I'm going to I want to jump on the offer um, of, you know, starting a church in the building. Well, what he told me was he says, well, unfortunately, the building is not going to be available for you anymore. He says the old the the congregation that had currently been staying there, they are not, you know, they're not going to leave. Um, and so they, whatever the situation is, you know, they're the building is not vacant for the most part. Well, I told him, I said, well, you know, I'm going to go to Whitfield and I'm going to start a church because the Lord told me that there must be an apostolic church in Whitfield. And I said, with or without a building, I'm going to start an apostolic church and there will be an apostolic church in Whitfield, Virginia. Now, I I do want to backtrack and I want to explain that I did. This wasn't, uh, I guess you would say outreach evangelism was not new to me. I had always been a part of teaching home Bible studies. I got uh, saved the summer before my senior year in high school. And my mom, she actually um, encouraged me, or should I say, she told me to go to a youth conference or youth camp service that they were having. You know how each year um, United Pentecostal Church, they have youth camps that take place. And so my mom made me go one summer uh, to one of their services. And so we went, you know, me and some friends, we went to that service. You know, uh, we went, we came back, we went in devils and we came out devils. Um, But so my mom made me go the second night. So I went the second night uh, to this um, this church camp service for young people. And there, the minister that was there, he mentioned one thing. He said, I remember this so clearly, um, this just this progression of how things went. He said, if you could be, and he was preaching to everyone, and he said these words, he said, 
you could be the only person in your youth group saved. You don't, you do not need a big youth group to be saved. And for some reason, what he said resonated with me that, you know what, it is, you know, maybe I can live for the Lord, you know, by myself. I may not have to have a lot of people living for God around me. I, you know, I can have a personal relationship with the Lord. And, and it was just something I look back now and I recognize what it is. I didn't know at the time, but it was it had to be the Holy Ghost prompting me. It had to be the Lord moving me and it had to be the Lord persuading me. And I remember when they 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 gave the altar call and they invited people to come to the altar. And it was a big service. It had to be at least 400, 500 people, um, young people in this particular camp service. And it was like something literally just picked me up and kind of just scooted me to the front of the altar. My friends were, we were on the very back. I remember it was a big old auditorium. Me and my friends, we sat in the very back on the left-hand side. And, you know, it's like something picked me up and they are looking at me like, Richie, what are you doing? You know, cause you know, what are you doing? And so it was like something moved me to the front that night. And I remember telling the Lord these words. I said, Lord, I said, Jesus, if you give, I told him, I said, I enjoy sin. I said, you know, I, I like it. It's comfortable to me. It feels great to me. I said, but if you give me something that will keep me, I will live for you for the rest of my life. And I kid you not. And, you know, my and within three seconds, 10, 15 seconds, my hands were stretched to the air. Tears were coming down my face and something just came over me. And I began to speak in tongues and I began to speak in another language that the Holy Ghost was causing me to do. I, no one was above me telling me to say these words. Nobody had their hands on my head. Nobody was encouraging me to speak in tongues. I literally was having a conversation with Jesus. And in this conversation, I asked him to give me something that could keep me, that would keep me saved, that would keep me grounded in the faith. And he gave me the Holy Ghost. And it was a, it was such a transformation. It was such a radical transformation that night. That when we went when we went back home, I didn't even ride back with my friends. I caught a ride with another youth group, some random youth group that I had no idea who they were. And I went back home and it was just an amazing experience. I remember uh, the next day I bought me a notebook pad and I began to just, you know, journal. I've never really been a journal. I never journaled or anything, but I did write poems and things because I was always into music, writing lyrics. And so I just began to write my prayers out in this in my notebook and I began to just talk to the Lord. It was just me. And, and I developed something with Jesus during this time where I began to understand him as a friend. He was my God, but I began to understand that not only is he this, this God, not only is his, he is this superlative of power, the Hebrews would call him Elohim. The Greeks call him Theos. Not only was he this grand power, but he was personable to me. He was friend to me. He, he was someone that when I had no one else to talk to, I could talk to Jesus. And I always felt and knew that he was very close to me. My very first disciple, my very first convert that I that I got to win to the Lord was my best friend, Tony. And my, my buddy, Tony, is, uh, me and him are still connected. He's still a disciple of the Lord to this day. And I remember when me and him, you know, it was so amazing having somebody else that was saved. At the time, our church, we, we were a smaller church. And um, we didn't, there wasn't a lot of youth in our church at all, but man, me and Tony, we connected, we clicked, man, we fire just, it seems like a fire came over us. 
we began to evangelize. We began to teach Jesus. We began to teach Bible studies when school started back. Man, we taught so many Bible studies. I mean, I didn't know. And the thing was, when we were teaching this, we were just having a, an, an exciting time as young high schoolers living for the Lord. I remember, I remember one day when I went, and now me and him, we went to separate, it was a bigger area where we lived at the time. We went to separate high schools. And, but I remember one day coming into my high school and literally, and I, and I'm not kidding. I am not making this up. There were students literally sitting like how you walk down the hallway, hallway in their lockers. Students were sitting on the sides of the floor and they had, it's like everyone had their Bibles out. There was probably 15 to 20 students laid in the hallway and everybody was sitting there and, and everybody had their Bibles on. We were experiencing a very divine revival that was just, it was unprecedented. At the time, we didn't know this was called a revival. We didn't know it was a move of God. We were simply young, wild, buck wild high schoolers that got a hold of something that was legit, that was real that offered us something that the streets couldn't offer us. It offered us something that a Hollywood couldn't offer us, offered us something that um, um, just sin couldn't offer us, drugs or whatever couldn't offer us. We had experienced something that was divine, that came from another world. And we just wanted everybody that we met, we just wanted them to know who we had experienced. And so we saw, we saw many, we saw hundreds of people, young people, younger, young high schoolers filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. I remember there were days we would, and I don't recommend this now for anybody, but I remember there were times we would all skip class. We would decide what, you know, what time we were going to skip class. And we would go to the church and we would pray. We would be fasting that day. We were high schoolers now, you know, and we would skip class and we would go and lock ourselves in the church. And we would pray. And man, I tell you what, when us boys got together, boy, we would, I mean, we would raise some thunder and we would raise some lightning. And it was just a wonderful experience. And so as my college years, uh, you know, college happened and, you know, it, things began to change in my life. You know, the context changes, um, more temptations are offered. I was actually experiencing some uh, some hostile and a lot of resistance in my personal life. And, and it was, and it began to kind of, kind of snatch that vision that we had in high school and, and college things began, began, began to become dormant. I was still living for the Lord. I was still teaching Bible studies, but there was just a level of passion that was not where it used to be when I first got saved. And and I, that's when I began to pick up music. And I really believe that the Lord used, I used to do Christian rap uh, back, back in the heyday. People just flip out when they find out that I used to be a Christian rapper. Um, and so, um, and that was, I really believe the Lord used that tool to help keep me. Because during the time I was doing the music, I was getting invited to churches and it would put me in a church environment. I got to leave my hostile environment. I got to leave the area that I was, that it was seemed like it was destroying me and, and, and Satan was really taking advantage of my life. And the Lord would use that time to allow me to have a brief moment of escape. If it was just for a weekend, if it was for three days out of the week, and I would be able to have a concert. And these were not just musical concerts. I have seen people filled with the Holy Ghost at a rap, at a Christian rap concert. I have seen people healed of sickness. I've seen people get out of wheelchairs. 
I have seen people who were um, suicidal, um, getting ready to commit suicide, and they walk by and they hear the rap music. So they come up and and they come to the the concert where we were, and God fills them with the Holy Ghost, and they share their testimony of how they were about to go home and and blow their brains out. But yet the what the message that was being conveyed it touched their heart. So that was a very special and a very precious time for me. And I got to see God work in a very unorthodox and a very um a very untrend a non-traditional setting. Little did I know God was using that to groom me. He was using that to teach me. And then that's UGST. I met Arash who got to introduce me and me and Arash man we became two peas in a pod connected almost instantly. We have so many stories I could share about Arash, but I'll probably all know all the stories already. Uh, so the Lord used the time at UGST to really heal me, um, to really get some things out of my heart, to really take care of some hatred, to take care of some anger, to take care of some brokenness, to take care of some bitterness. And it was like right at the end of that healing process, that's when my grandmother passed away. And that's when the door opened up for me to speak her eulogy. And when I got invited to um, come and start the church here, and then it got denied and said, hey, no, there is no building available. There was something in me that was not connected to a pulpit. There was something in me that was not connected to having a quote unquote church. There was just something in me that I'm going to teach a home Bible study. I was just sharing with a friend uh, last week that when I came to Whitfield, I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no clue about church planning. It was, you know, you there was I there was a very strong disconnect between I'm going to be a pastor. This is going to be more than just home Bible study. So when I came to Whitfield, I literally came with the mindset, I'm just going to teach a bunch of Bible studies. I'm going to fill up a living room and we're just going to have a bunch of Bible studies. I had no idea what I was getting into. Well, should I say I had no idea what the Lord was getting me into? And so when uh, the bishop told me that the building wasn't available, and I told him with or without a building, the Lord wants to, there to be an apostolic church in Whitfield. I called my sweet grandmother and I said, hey, granny, do you mind if I start a church in your living room? She said, come on down, baby. So I started a church in my grandmother's living room. I came down. I had two hundred and forty dollars in my pocket. I shouldn't even say in my pocket. It was in my bank account. I didn't have anything in my pocket. I had a Kia Spectra at the time. I packed up my Kia Spectra and I drove all the way from St. Louis all the way to Virginia. And um, well, during that time, I stopped in Detroit, Michigan, where me and my pastor uh, that the Lord allowed our paths to cross, Art Wilson, we got to connect. And, and for two to three weeks, so three to four weeks, almost that whole month in December, I spent time in Detroit. And it was just a wonderful time uh, with the International Church there and Pastor Wilson. And he really got to um, instill some good foundational stuff in me because um, I was really rough. I'm still really rough around the edges, but I was a lot rougher then. <laughs> so I go down and we I have my first service was January the 13th, 2013. Or January, yeah, 2000, uh, January 13th, 2013 was our first service. And we uh, when we had the service, it was me, my grandma and aunt and my cousin. It was just four of us in the living room. And I remember, and I still have my notes on my phone. The first message I preached was, we are kingdom people. And um, 
no move of God, you know, nothing great happened that I know of. Uh, maybe something happened in the spirit world that I had no idea. But that was just the beginning. And we were there for, I think, three months in the living room. And I think at the time in the living room, we grew up to about 10, maybe maybe seven to 10 people. And then I got a call that, hey, the building had become vacant and that we were able and we were going to be able to have access to the building that was um, that we were once going to have access to. And now we actually had access to it. So we moved in um, at the time. The church's name was Morning Star, so we just adopted the church name. Hey, when I came down, I had no idea of a name in a church. I didn't have a clue about anything. And so when we started the church, we moved in the building, we opened the doors, and you know, we got to get ourselves more connected um, into the community. And so that had that was uh, probably that was seven years ago. It's hard to believe. I was just talking to uh, to the hosts and them about how long it's been. I told them seven years. And I said, I, I still feel like I'm just now getting started. Uh, so, but a lot has changed uh, then. Um, I still believe in home Bible studies. I, uh, you can ask anybody at first church, we are home Bible study driven. I believe in reaching people. I believe in getting in the homes of people and bringing the word of God. That's what we need in our day and our age. Um, it's so easy. And of course, we have technology and we have different venues of technology. I believe in using technology. We're almost we're really forced to really depend on technology uh, during this uh, pandemic season. Um, but there, one thing that is very important, no matter if you have to use technology, if you have to if you're streaming this in your home, get the word of God in your house. Um, get God's word in your home, not, don't, you know, just don't get the confession of the word of God in your home but literally get God's word and study it and begin to speak it in your home and talk to your family or your loved ones. Or if you're single, uh, begin to invite people over to discuss the word of God in your home. I remember that first first year, first two years, man, we saw so many healings uh, take place um, throughout the community. I mean, we saw, and I got, I got, doc, I kept the documentation. I got video footage of some of it. Um, I blogged a lot. We saw a lady that had deaf ears, her ears opened up. Um, we had people, I remember one time we was out at an apartment complex and we had um, a man who had a growth on his arm. His growth disappeared. That first two years was just like God was proving his word is still alive. And I believe God was trying to really expose and really uh, confirm that his word is true. And so that's kind of how I got started um, in church planning. Now, the way that I did it, I'm I'm now the NAMS uh, district secretary for the state of Virginia. And I don't recommend how I started a church for anybody. I do not encourage anybody to start a church the way I did it. I wouldn't say that it was impulsive, but there was an impulsive side to it. But I would say that it was very, um, it was, it was very spirit led. I was, God was gracious enough and I was fortunate enough that I wasn't being led by my own emotion um, and that I was really following God. I don't know how I heard God's voice during that time because all that healing was taking place. I don't know how it all worked out, but I do know God's hand had in it. I was on my way to be an army chaplain. I was on my way um, to work for Uncle Sam and the Lord placed me smack dab in the middle of Southwest Virginia. So no matter where you are right now, no matter where you think you are on your path or your journey, you got to remember what Paul taught in Galatians. He said this, he said, the Lord had his hand on me when I was in my mother's womb. 
God has you right where you need to be. God has you right where he wants you. All you have to do is continue to listen to him and hear him. So I guess to um, I guess to kick off the um, discussion, Arash, I don't know if you're coming back on, if I got to talk some more or anything, but um, that's how I got started. That's how um, my testimony, short version, of course, there's details in that, uh, but that's how we got here um, in Whitfield, Virginia. So um, that is our, that's my story. <laughs> in a nutshell, that is uh, his story in a nutshell. Uh, there's quite a bit happening there. Um, what? So if uh, you have been joining us, we are, our guest here is uh, Pastor Richie from Withville, Western, I'm sorry, Virginia. And, um, <laughs> and he's just been sharing his testimony. Um, we are going to start asking questions. So uh, in the comments section, please put question and then your question. So that way it makes us easier to be able to uh, go ahead and ask Richie questions. Um, one question I want to ask Richie, um, I know you've been hearing a lot about um, kind of George Floyd, um, the man who, um, of course, uh, died in the hospital uh, due to um, police brutality in Minneapolis. Um, what, are, what are some words of encouragement that you have, Richie, for the church um, dealing with, um, you know, systemic racism and um, in our country? And what is, what, you know, what should the church do uh, in this time? And um, how should they represent themselves? That's a, I think it's a very, um, very uh, powerful, impactful question, especially if it has a good answer. I'm no, I'm definitely no expert. <laughs> I will say I'm no expert on these matters at all. Um, so I'm not going to give you an expert answer. But what I can share um, is my experience um, and what we do here um, in Withfield. We are, uh, it is 87 percent white, uh, our population here in our town, um, only 3% black and the rest are either Hispanic or considered, you know, other, um, is how our demographics are listed in our area. Um, we do a very good job. First church is an amazing church. We are very diverse. We're not just diverse on skin complexion, but our church consists of many political affiliations, we have liberals in our church, progressives. We have conservatives, Republicans, Democrats. Um, we have older generation, younger generation. Um, and giving our context, I, you know, I would love to be able to reach more different types of culture. But given the location where we are, you know, we really only have a, we have a smaller pool to choose from. But First Church does a very good job at being a very diverse church. Some of the things that we do, we're very intentional to make sure that when people walk into the door, that they see diversity so that when they come in, they can say, identify with that person, identify with that culture. So we're very intentional in those manners, very intentional with our leadership to make sure that we have a very diverse leadership, both men, women, uh, different perspectives. So we're very intentional in that. Um, we're also we, we like to. Um, one thing that I've been sharing during this particular time is being peace peacemakers. Um, and it's hard, especially if you've been on a side of uh, systematic racism, you've been on a side of injustice, if you've been on the side of ex experiencing uh, pro racial profiling. Um, and, and, you know, I have all those stories. You know, I can sit here and share with you stories in every state I've been in, every work environment I've been in, I can share you those things. But at the end of the day, we have to realize that we are to make peace. You know, no matter what someone does to us and no matter how we're treated, 
you know, our response always should be peace. So the way that I like to, I've, I've been sharing it with our church is, you know, be peacekeepers. Um, be involved in your community. I'm very involved here in the community. I get in every door that opens. I take advantage of it. I'm involved in many different teams, groups, committees in our town. Um, I try to build a good relationship with our pastors um, because at the end of the day, I need my pastor friends in our town. You know, anybody that feels they can pastor by themselves and do it all independently, you know, more power to you. Show me your tricks and your secrets. I haven't learned that, that you know, I haven't learned that yet. Um, and so when we think about um, the situation that's happened and we think about the chaos that's wrecking havoc in our nation right now, and even it's spreading to the globe. We got people globally that are participating. You know, it begins with a principle of welcoming and being a peacemaker, whether that's culturally, whether that's politically, whether that's social economically, you know, diversity begins with welcoming and being a peacemaker in your heart. So that's kind of how we how we take care of it here. I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Um, so I'm going to go through and um, the questions are coming in. Please send them in. Uh, Pastor Richie loves answering questions. Um, so someone says, oh, you're from Oklahoma. What part of Oklahoma are you from? That's from us. Um, I grew up at I grew up on Lawton Fort Seal uh, base. Uh, my dad was Army. He was a drill sergeant. So I grew up. I'm an Army brat. <laughs> I've grown up in brand. Oklahoma. I've grown up in Kentucky. Um, I've grown up from all over. Yes. But yeah, Lawton, Oklahoma. Um, and then I have another question is uh, from one of our teens. They say, are you any good at Christian rap? I would say not anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> His music is still on iTunes. You can find him there. <laughs> it's still on yeah, you can see it on iTunes, YouTube. It's all over there somewhere. It's all over there. Um, and then we have another question. This is uh, from uh, one of our church members. Um, with music being such a powerful tool to get God's word out, your background in Christian music, do you still use that in your teachings now within your church? No, um, I don't really rely much on the venue of music as much. Um, you know, I as I guess as I focus on more on trying to get vision across and um, teaching and preaching. Um, so, you know, home Bible study use, you know, so I don't really rely much. I don't. It's, it's kind of that was I guess when I look at it, it's like an old, old childhood memory. I, I miss it sometimes. I'm like, oh, that was just so fun. But no, it's <laughs> it's not really the tools of it. I do use, um, especially when it comes to like the technical resource stuff, like audio engineering, live music and all that stuff um, that has really translated very well. But to use music itself, I do. I haven't um, really reached that far yet. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So here you go. I got some more questions. Um uh, here's another one from the same teenager, and they want to know uh, what is the funniest story about Arash that you can think of. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I remember we were supposed to have been fasting. We were going to try to fast one time, and um, I'm dying and starving. I can't remember how long we were trying to go, but we were dying and starving. And Arash comes in the house that night, and he was like, "I have a confession." I was like, "What?" He was like, I ate a cookie from Starbucks because he was working at Starbucks at the time. And I was like, I'm over here dying and you're eating cookies. 
Temptation, follow me. <laughs> I've been wanting to get that off my chest for many years. Okay, I have to jump in because you can do better than that. I know the two of you from UGST. I overlapped with Richie, I believe, by one summer class and with Arash by one semester. They were wrapping up as I was getting started. In fact, Richie proposed to his wife at the hooding ceremony my first year. We were laughing about that before the broadcast. The best you can do is the time when Arash ate a cookie while you were fasting? I don't believe it. So I'm Man, a, I'm he's trying to protect me. He doesn't leave the internet. Trying to be polite. So, Arash, <laughs> well, instead of the craziest, we'll do it this way. Arash, I want you to share one of your funniest stories about an interaction with you and Richie, and then Richie, you keep thinking and share one of yours with Arash. Uh, it's much see. better than I once ate a cookie while. We <laughs> Come on. I think I think the funniest story I remember was um, he once invited me over to one of his concerts. I mean his. Yeah, his rap concerts, and um, and we went over there, and they had like tons and tons of chicken, and um, <laughs> we ended up staying with some friends in their basement. Yeah, it was. That is still funny, Yeah, we still talk. Me and Anthony are really good friends. Oh, good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I see DJ, uh, you know, other places as well. Oh, that is hilarious. Um, all right, let me see. We got some more questions. Um, no, no, no. We have to flip it around. Richie, you're finding your story with a rock. <laughs> well, oh. the, first, he, the first time he met uh, Dr. Cindy Miller, that was probably the funniest story with Arash in class. I'm not going to share it online. <laughs> he, I will say this. He got kicked out of class. She kicked him out of class. That's how funny it was. And I mean, it was funny. So that's as far as I'm going to go. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, um, that was quite a bit of a class. God, uh, God really moved in that class. Uh, we we figured <laughs> out some things about myself. Um, <laughs> he's being he's being kind. He's being really kind right now, and I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I do have one question. It says. Um, what advice would you give to people who want to teach Bible studies but are nervous about asking people? How do you, how, really how do you overcome way. that? Well, the only way to really overcome it is to actually do it. Start with someone that you know, you feel comfortable with, um, someone that you feel safe enough to that you can tell them, oh, I don't know what I'm doing right now. You know, find someone that feels safe right there. Um, I was sharing with a friend uh, last week when I first got started, I had made, I've made so many mistakes doing home Bible studies. You know, I have really, I have done when I look, when I first started, how immature and unwise I was at the Bible study. It's God's grace that anybody was getting saved during that time because I was doing a lot of un, uh, just a lot of childish things that were, I thought were good tactics, but they weren't just very hard and dogmatic. Um, one of the things that we do um, in our church is we're, we do is when people go through a, our, our like a leadership class is called Deep Roots. One of the lessons in it is how to teach a home Bible study. So I teach about some of the principles of home Bible study and they start off with marvelous light. That's a very simple Bible study. It takes an hour to teach the whole thing. It's very um, it's a very salvation driven Bible study. It's not really a disciple making process, but it's just very new birth experience. Um, and so I, I give them a copy and I say, I want you to find one friend 
and you tell them, hey, my pastor gave me some homework and I have to teach this lesson. Do you mind being that person? We actually have uh, people in our church from that that homework. So, um, you know, get out there and do it. Get something that's easy. If Get a friend with you um, and just find someone that you feel comfortable with and just say, hey, I am trying to learn. And you can even put it off on the church. Put it off on your pastor. Your pastor will not care. I promise you. And say, hey, my pastor wants us to teach a home Bible study. And I'm trying it this week. Do you mind being my first guinea pig? And they're like, oh, yeah, let me do it. Let me do it. And guess what? You got yourself a home Bible study and you got yourself a disciple. And so um, that will be fantastic. So my methods on reaching people to save people have changed dramatically. Now I reach people to make them disciples. And so I don't have an intention of getting them saved. The intention is that they get rooted and grounded in Christ and that they're one day either preaching the gospel or teaching their own home Bible study. So my process has changed dramatically. But of course, I use some of the same principles and things like that. So I hope that helps a little bit. No, that's a very good question. Um, Another question is, what is the greatest challenge you have right now in your community as you're reaching them? Well, one of the biggest things that we have right now, and of course, you got this um, ethnic uh, hostility taking place. Um, You have so many different ideas on what is the right method to take to bring peace. Um, And so I am very strict um, in saying, well, let's see what does the scripture teach us about peace? So my position on how to be a peacemaker does not look um, like the community in a whole life. There are some distinct um, features that we take and there are some distinct um, approaches that we take to being peacemakers that may not uh, be popular, um, that don't seem like, well, you know, you should be doing this to bring peace or you all should be doing this to bring diversity. Well, one, I, you know, one of my things, and I, and I don't know how this may sound, but you know, I have personally won two white supremacists to the Lord. Um, yes. When I say white supremacist, legit, real white supremacist, not someone that just like, I don't know how to act around black people. I'm talking about the real ones, the ones that say, I don't like you because of your skin color. You're destroying my culture and my country. Get out. That type of white supremacist. Um, one of them was actually a part of um, a pagan religion called Asatru or Odinism. I don't know if you're familiar with those uh, practices or not, but it is a religion that centers around its particular race. Um, And he was in the occult side of it where he had been baptized into this religion. He had a heathen name and he swore an oath and he sold his soul uh, to the gods and to the, those of Valhalla. You know, he, he went through this really strong process and um, everything. Well, it, what the, where it began with us is having a small conversation, listening to him, listening to him share his belief systems with me, listening to him share his ideas with me that were very contrary to what I believed, but just saying, you know what? I understand why you believe that. Not that I necessarily agree. We have to learn that as a church, just be, it is okay to understand somebody's perspective. It is safe. It Just because you say, I see why yes. you believe like that. Oh, that's why that makes logical sense in your context. That doesn't mean you're condoning it. It doesn't mean that you're validating that, oh, what you're saying is right, but it lets them know. And when you're able to articulate and you're able to communicate back to them what they believe and why they believe it, and they're like, you really do have an interest. And so then they become interested in you. And so that's how the relationship, this uh, 
the gentleman I'm talking about in particular, he has completely repented from that. He has denounced it. He has gotten rid of all that stuff in his life. And these are not just high school or teenagers. These are 50-year-old, 60-year-old men. So these are men that have nothing to lose. There, There's no incentive other than God touched their hearts and love touched mm -hmm. their hearts. So, you know, I would say that I follow a particular pattern that I have discovered in scripture. And it may not look popular. It may not look political. It may not look, um, you know, vocal. It may not look, um, you know, like we're standing in solidarity, but yeah. I would say it's transforming hearts and it's transforming lives. And to me, that's what matters, not the perception, not the image, but are we really making a difference? Are there really the opposing sides of two different ideas? Are they coming together as one? So the biggest challenge is really being a servant, showing that you care, but yet keeping that distinction that, look, there is a way that I do things. And it's not because it's my philosophy. It's because this is what Jesus has shown me in his scriptures. So that was probably the challenges that we face is re remaining that distinction, but yet being a servant. Wow. Wow. Um, excellent. Excellent answer. And, and I, they want to, um, one of our, um, our executive pastor wants to also um, add a question to this is how do you start a conversation with that when when someone has hatred towards you? I mean, how do you, um, I guess, put the fear aside? I'm trying to look for the right words here, but just and start that conversation, even though um, <laughs> there's animosity there well, automatically. Well, that is one of the things that I I take a different stance on when it comes on how do we solve our problems? How do we become peacemakers? And you you definitely know this because we learned this together. The problem is never the problem. So yeah. that's the thing. So uh, someone's hatred in the heart is not the problem. The problem is what's causing that? Where did that come from? Where is that culture ideology coming from? Where is that mindset and that framework? So you never really talk about, because if all you talk about is how you should change, how you need to get the hatred out of your heart, guess what? I'm only trying to treat a symptom that's not going to get better. But if they can, if I can debunk and demystify their ideology by being a true friend, not even talking to them about it, in each instance with these two gentlemen that this conversation has come up, it has never started out with me talking to them about it. It comes out of them naturally. You know, uh, we're talking about something totally different. And I'm just I'm just one of those little pesky little pastors. I am going to be your friend until you put a restraining order on me. I, if you block me on your phone, I am going to get a new phone and I'm going to call you and say, I miss you. You know, it's I'm just one of those pesky people, you know, because I'm like, you're acting like this because you need a friend. And so because I know what it's like to have anger. I know what it's like to be hurt. I know what it feels like to be feel rejected. I know what it feels like to feel abandoned. I know what I know those emotions. I know what that control feels like. And so I feel I have a if you could say an authority to, to address those things personally with people. And so when I'm hearing them and, and I hear what they're saying and I'm like, Oh, okay, that's interesting. Well, what's your faith background? And then it, it starts coming out and it starts flowing out. And I'm like, Oh man, that's, that's interesting. I, I had one person tell me one time we have, we've, uh, I, now we've pastored a diverse church. We've pastored an all black church and we've pastored an all, all white church before. 
We've had three churches since we've been here. One was all white. One church was all black. And this one has a little bit of everything in it. So I understand what all the everything that people talk about. I know each congregation, each context really is like. And I had one um, person tell me one time she was a newer person way back when. And she was filled with the Holy Ghost baptized and just a sweet, I mean, just a sweet lady. She told me, and this is what she said. I never pictured some um, one of y'all would be my pastor. <laughs> I knew exactly what she meant. Now, for some people probably listening to that, they're like, ooh, I feel cringy. I don't feel cringy about it because that is just one thing that she's coming out of. For her to say, but for her to have that mindset and still call me her pastor. Yeah. She looked beyond what she's been taught and how wow. she's been raised. And she sees me as someone that cares for her soul. Someone can say, well, how is she going to say y'all? Who cares why she thinks like that? She sees me as her shepherd. To me, that's the celebration. That's the reward. And yes. so if I see that now and I got to show now that she sees me in that light and I know that might be a different a framework in her thinking, a y'all, I have to show her it's not y'all anymore. It's us. Am yeah. I going to tell her that? Am I going to teach her that? No, I'm going to do that for her. So the real way to do this and the way the approach this, we have to get out of the, the and please forgive me, the propaganda and the political of we need to have a dialogue. We need to start a discussion. It's not the answer. The answer is you need to be somebody's friend. That's what it boils down to. How do I become somebody's best friend and they do not like me? And if we can accomplish that, we will solve every issue that we have. And the thing is, and I'm going to say this on this part of this question, I'll cut it. We're trying to solve issues in our society that are still rooted in our pews. We first have to learn to be friends with one another in our churches before we can go out and be anything in the community. So how, you know, I, you know, a Facebook post is a Facebook post. A protest is a protest. A march is a march. But if I still come to church and I still don't know the person sitting next to me's name because they because I think they're a certain way, then there's no true way that I'm. And being a true friend is not just during times like this. You shoot them a text message. Hey, you know, I want you to know I love you. No, that's that's crazy. You know, being a friend is when all this because all this is going to die down for a while. It's going to go back to, you know, it's a cycle. We know it's a cycle. Something else will rise up and we'll get back into the hole and everybody get back and do our things and we'll do all our stuff. But when all this dies down and nobody's thinking about it, what are you doing personally? Yeah, that's huge. huge. When nobody's talking about it, I text a pastor friend of mine here in the community today and I told her, I said, I just want to let you know you're doing a great job because when nobody was talking about this issue, you were inviting me into your in your church community. You were inviting me to your people so that they could become acclimated to diversity. I said, you're the real MVP. When nobody's talking about it, when nobody's posting it on Facebook, when the media isn't making it a thing, what are you doing? That's how we, that's how we, we solve it. That's what we're supposed to do. Man. Amen. You got me all fired up. <laughs> there you go. Brother, come on, brother. That's right. That's right. If we can't have love in the church, how can we have love outside? Ooh, hallelujah. That's true. <laughs> that is the truth. That is the truth. Um, let's see. The questions are coming. Um, here we go from the Allen family. How has your church been impacted by COVID-19? And how have uh, you all been able to handle the social distancing? Oh, man. Well, 
it affected us like it affected everybody. We all got thrown into our houses. And I, of course, I went and preached um, Exodus 12 about the plague of Passover. You know, that's the stance I took on it. And I said, look, Jesus wants you in your house. There's a plague out there. Jesus wants you to stay in your house. So I preached for us to... Most people were upset that we couldn't meet. I'm like, look, Jesus, them, there's a plague out there. You saw the plague in the Bible. They went in their homes. We're going to go in our homes too, y'all. So, um, but one thing it did that I am so thankful for, it forced us to go online even when we weren't ready. It was like the mother eagle kicking the babies out of the nest saying, hey, it's time to fly. And what's so funny, probably two weeks before, or maybe a month before all this went happened, our team, we met. And we decided we were going to start doing some work around the church. We wanted to find out what should we do. One of the brothers mentioned, he says, Pastor, why don't we start going online? I said, well, no, you know, we're not really yet ready for that yet. You know, we don't have all the equipment, et cetera, et cetera. I said, we're, what we're going to do, we're going to fix the baptismal tank. We're going to get us a nice guest foyer because we're going to make our church really guest friendly. Literally month, a month later, a few weeks later, here we are reading all the online stuff. It's like the Lord forced us. We have seen so many people filled with the Holy Ghost during this pandemic season. We have baptized so many people during this pandemic season. We have uh, seen seven people filled with the Holy Ghost, and we have seen five people water baptized in the name of Jesus during a quarantine. And they yeah. have all been reached through online. These are people that could not have been reached unless we were online. So wow. I see the value in online ministry. Um, I've always seen it, but it was just something that I didn't think was practical for us. So we're investing in online. We want to take it to the next level. We're going to try to do the best that we can, really dock it up, make it look really nice, presentable, professional, because we really want more people attached to the word of God, even if it's online. One person said this to me uh, on our leadership team. She said, you know, people are starting to join us online that only came once or twice. And she says, if that, that may be as far as they're willing to go to church. And it just like a light bulb went off. I said, hey, if that is far as some people are willing to go to churches online, my God, at least they're hearing the word of God somehow. Yes, and so we're right. just really going to um, really push for online and continue on that wave. So we I would say we're it's been tough on, on all of us like everybody. But, man, we have seen the silver lining and we're going to shoot for it. Amen. Amen. That's exciting. Amen. Um, question is. Of all the places and states you have lived, what holds a special place in your heart and why? Lawton, Oklahoma, where I'm from. Um, I want to start a church there so bad. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's the it's the town that it's the it's it's nothing to look at. It's eyesore. It's violent. It's you know, it's not you know paradise. But man, my heart's there. I, I have so many. I got so much, so many seeds, so much fruit that in that area that I left. And I, you know, I just really would love to go back um, and I would really want to plant a church there. And then the second place would be um, um, Punjab, India. Um, that is where C.P. Thomas is from. Margaret Ronius' uh, uh, dad is from. I call him Grandpa. He has become such a close and dear friend of mine and Rebecca's. And um, I would I would love I don't know if I could live there because I'm very spoiled American. Um, but. I definitely would love to visit as often as I could. Yes, of course, of course, yes. Um, Margaret, for those of you who don't know, is also um, a friend of ours for back from uh, from seminary days, um, who actually lives now in Minnesota. But um, yes, that's right. Um, 
All right. Any um, so questions? Just go ahead and give us your questions, and we can ask uh, Pastor Richie. Um, thank you so much for this insight. <clears throat> You're so right about uh, friendship and and being a friend to somebody and bridging that gap of diversity. And you know, diversity is is, is so many things. And you kind of hit hit it on the head. There is that it's not just skin tone. It's also political views. It's it's uh, ideologies. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and I'm we gonna have come a, in because we're, we're gonna take a little turn here, Richie. You mentioned earlier, uh, or rather, Arash did when he introduced you about the fact that right now you and your wife are fostering, and so we've actually had a couple questions come in that what led you down that road and got you into foster care. <laughs> um, well, um, one thing that kept uh, happening with us is that we would get a lot of random calls of people wanting to drop their kids off to us. Um, and I kid you not, just different people saying, hey, uh, you know, um, we had gotten contact with people that are saying, hey, you know, it's too stressful. Um, will you take these kids in? And we actually, it, one night someone gave us a call um, and they don't live here in town. So nobody knows who they are. If anybody from Whitfield is listening, nobody, you don't know who they are. Um, they um, were going, they were going to have their baby like you know, the next day or whatever. And the mom was like, we just can't do this. You know, she was like, I want to give this a baby away. So someone called us and says, Hey, this mother's going to wants to give up her baby. And she doesn't want when she has it, do you want it? And I was like, you know, I don't know much about like legal stuff, but I'm pretty sure we just can't take somebody's baby. <laughs> I'm like, there has to be some type of protocol. I'm like, I'm not the smartest kid in the block, but I do know that it can be considered as kidnapping or something. So <laughs> I was like, and so me and Rebecca, we talked about it. We called people in our lives, the people that we um, are counselors and el elders that we call whenever we're in a problem, we're having problems. And um, they were like, ah, you know, it doesn't sound like it's, it sounds like it's a suit, a too soon of a process. Maybe you should put in your paperwork. Um, so we put in our paperwork um, for DSS and lo and behold, right even before the process was even before we were even approved, we got a call from DSS saying about the situation with the children and things. And so uh, we got our boys um, and that's, you know, that's really what happened. It was just kind of forcing us into that. And so we got two puppies and two kids and, you know, we're just all over the place. <laughs> got all this gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> Two active boys uh, who like to run around. So. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take another turn because before we end our broadcast, and if you've got questions, you need to get them in. We've only got about five minutes left. And Richie, we want to thank you once again for joining us. This has been wonderful. Uh, we were asked if you would share your best story about your interactions with Dr. Stephen Beardsley. Because it wouldn't be fair for us to host Friday Night with Friends and not at some point bring him into the discussion. So are you willing to share any of your best stories of your interactions with Other than he gave me a C minus. He gave me a C minus in Christian ethics. Other than that, I have nothing to say about the man. <laughs> i tell you what, all three of us could probably take turns commiserating about his ridiculous grading policies. I won't want to do it. I, no I, I am the same, the same one who ended up with a lowered grade in his class because he harped on my final and gave me a B on my final, Richie, in church history <laughs> because I used, and I quote, not enough commas in my writing. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, he has a standard that unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, you're no wise getting <laughs> Now, if you're listening to us and you don't know this, you got to understand we all love him. But as a professor, he could be brutal. Brutal. <laughs> Ridiculous. He's a, he's a very, very intelligent man. The man knows what he's doing and he knows what he believes in and he knows how to listen to all sides. But he also knows how to, you know, it's a good standard to have when it comes to grading. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, but I uh, love Brother Beardsley, and I really appreciate um, you all giving me the opportunity to speak on his platform. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we have on our pastoral team, a member of our pastoral team, her name is Debbie Pierce. She is retired now, and she is a widow, and she and her husband used to pastor. And so she submitted this question, and she asked, was it a big adjustment for you to move to Southwest Virginia? My husband and I moved to Lee County. <laughs> in 1991 to start an apostolic church and it felt like we had moved into a foreign country. Yeah. You know, um, I can't honestly say it was different because I was, you know, I guess I was so engrossed with starting the church and I was so, um, so focused on what's happening here that, and my mind is still there. I'm still on this adrenaline focus laser focused. So I haven't really thought much. I think the only time it becomes different is when I want to go do something and there's literally nothing to do. So we'll take, we literally, so I'm like, we're going to go, you know, let's go to South America or Bermuda or something, you know, to get something different in our lives. So we do travel um, often, not now we got the kids. We just go up to pitch before we get us a cabin now that is dog friendly. But um, <laughs> so that's, that's what's changed. But um, which I enjoyed and I love it. But um, yeah, when everything, um, you know, it really made me for her. She came from Houston, Texas. So for her, but she's adjusted well. She does better than me. She's got her a big old F-150 truck. She, you know, she's, you know, she's like country, country gal Johnson over there. You know, she's always taking trash to the green box. That's the dump yard for you folks that don't know anything about that. We take it to the green box and, you know. <laughs> I garden, so I am about I'm about as you know as country as it gets. I garden. I got wow, me a cilantro. You now garden, man. Wow. I love. Don't get me started. Y'all will need to rewind the clock about another hour because I can talk about some gardening. <laughs> so I love gardening. Recently, <laughs> have adjusted. Yeah, so I like it here. I miss it here when I leave. It's simple. Wow. It's too easy. The longest drive is seven minutes. That's when traffic is really thick. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think we complain about that. Yeah, yeah. I think I can make it to Little Caesars and pick up a pizza in about seven minutes if traffic's cooperating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty busy here. That would be That's quite an adjustment. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. All right, folks, we are coming to the top of the hour. Pastor Richie, I want to thank you once again. Before we close out, you had mentioned before we started this broadcast to me about your church and how right now you have been broadcasting and doing everything through uh, the Facebook platform. And you had requested, and I'm just verifying with you that that's all right. I can post the link to your church Facebook page if people want to see your church there and find more information there if that's okay with you we yeah do. i would love that yeah connect with this man first it's first it's first church with w-i-t-h-e.com 
and I can text it to you. You can add it in there. But yeah, I'd love for y'all to connect. Um, you can catch up, check our sermons. You can kind of see our process. We have lessons on there. The Bible study that we teach, which is Follow Me, um, is on there. So uh, more than welcome to catch, uh, connect with us and stay con- uh, stay caught up with what we're doing here. And more than anything, I would hope that someone that's listening would partner with us and pray. Um, I believe in prayer so much. I believe in prayer more than I believe in finances. Um, and if someone would commit to us and pray, I pray to God, if someone move on their, your heart right now and you cover us in prayer, man, I tell you what, you will, may the Lord bless you for that. Prayer is the most powerful thing that we have. And I and I just hope that a seed was sown today that somebody picks a burden up for us and they pray for us. Amen. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. This has been a blast, Richie. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you and hear some of your stories and have you on with us tonight. Unfortunately, though, we are at the top of the hour, which means this is the end of our broadcast. So I want to thank you all for joining us once again for our Friday night with friends. God bless you, folks. Richie, Arash, you can wave goodbye. Tell everyone, have a good evening. And good evening, folks. Thank you. You can follow us in our evening broadcast at 7 p.m. each night except Monday night. And if you are a guest and just want to join us for our Friday night with friends, feel free to join us once again next Friday at 7 p.m.